Good morning. Well, I think it's fitting that in a, a series on heaven, as we get towards the very end of the series, that one of the last sermons is the apocalypse. Because the apocalypse is the end, right? It's the, we know it as the end of the world. And we do have a series, as you can see, where you belong, heaven. But before we get to that final state, we've got to cross over this, the apocalypse. And that's what today's message is about, the end of the world. As I was thinking about this, and I was doing some reading, I came across this um, quote where somebody said, I don't know if I get it right, but it said like this, Hollywood is always creating a multivaried ways in which the world ends, something like that. And I started thinking about that. That's true. They've made a lot of movies about the end of the world. And I started thinking about all the ways in which, through our Hollywood movies, we've seen the world destroyed. For example, um, Mother Nature. Uh, there are a whole sub-genre of movies where Mother Nature destroys the world. I'm thinking of 2012 when it came out and there's this giant tidal wave, you know, and the priest is standing there at the top of the Himalayas and it's coming over the waves, the end of the world. A whole bunch of movies in that category. Or perhaps it could be a zombie apocalypse where everybody dies except, these, except zombies or some type of disease and we end up uh, running from zombies or trying to survive in that type of apocalyptic movie. Or, of course, it could be aliens. Aliens could invade, and there's so many different movies like that. All different kinds of aliens, organized, unorganized, and uh, they could destroy the world, too. Or we could just get hit by a comet. A comet could come and land and smash into Earth and destroy it like a super nuclear bomb. Or perhaps we could, you know, do that ourselves. You know, we could just set off our own nuclear war and see the nukes go off and see the, the end of the world that way. I mean, are you catching the drift? There's so many ways in which Hollywood has come up with the, the end of the world. And then I started thinking um, even some, like there's categories and there's, there's so many alien movies, but some are very specific, you know, like, for example, we could reverse evolution and see the takeover of the planet by apes, you know, planet of the apes, you know, they, we could go that way with it, right? Or if you want to even be more specific, we could just be terrible stewards of the earth and throw trash everywhere. And in the movie Wally, there's so much trash, they have to leave the planet. I mean, they're stacking up trash and the trash piles are as high as buildings. Of course, you know, the problem could be overpopulation and there could be a supervillain that somehow snaps his finger and everyone just disappears, starts to disappear. Right? There's so many ways in which the world could end. Of course, my favorite, my favorite. It, the robots are going to take over. AI, bringing on the end of the world. And so, <clears throat> by the way, just a second, I'll be back. I just had to do it, just had to do it. But, <clears throat> now that I'm back, let me, let me, let's go through the message here, and let me give you the real way that the world's going to end. Because this is all movie stuff, right? And, and, but the Bible actually gives us a pretty detailed description of exactly how the world is going to end. Now, as we've gone through this series, I'm going to be pointing backwards to some of the, the messages. And we did a sermon on the eternal city, and we talked about 
that glorious heaven coming out of the sky and coming down. And we talked about the eternal city. And I, I tried to show you that in the Bible, there were people looking forward to the future and these things. In fact, um, in Hebrews 11, the writer says, for he is talking about Abraham and Abraham was pulled out of his homeland and he was like a, a, a traveler without a homeland. And, and in that context, it was written about him for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. And so you get a picture of Abraham looking into the future, knowing there's a, the city is coming, this future heavenly city is coming. But not only that, and that's why uh, I think we threw up the slide there of the, of the heavenly city, the eternal city. And we talked a lot about that. But today what I want to show you is I want to bring together two things. Because there was also people looking down the timeline of our future and not just a city. But look at this. Peter said, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So now we see in Scripture, not only were great men of the faith looking forward to the heavenly city whose foundations are laid by God, but also they were looking forward to not just a city, but a new heaven and new earth. And I want to bring those together today in this message. That's why I tried to pick a slide that would depict this. But you see in this slide, and this comes from Revelation where John is writing, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and I saw the holy city. You see both of them together right there. And in the picture, it shows that. There's the city that we talked about where we're going to dwell, but then there's also the new earth, and they're together. And that's one of the things that I want you to grasp out of today's sermon. Some people, maybe you grew up, and, and this is what was taught, that eternity is in heaven. It's only heaven, or maybe the city like that. But actually what Scripture describes is it's, the city, and a new earth. And our eternal dwelling will be in both of those. Okay, and we're going to look at that today. Now, what I'd like to do is take the, actually the, um, the bullet points the, that I used in the, the sermon on the heavenly city and almost lay it side by side. There were three points about the city. I'm going to give you three points about the new earth and show you the similarities and dif differences. For example, and I put these in parentheses because this is the old one, the end of man's great cities. I don't know if you remember that sermon, but we kind of walked through the history of how men built great cities through time. And it started small and it got bigger, bigger, bigger until the largest, most populate, population by, by that measurement city is Tokyo. And we were talking about how all of the great things that man has built, there will come a day where they're all gone. Every great city that man has built will be gone. And I went through some verses. Micah says the mountains will melt like wax. Peter says the heavens will pass away and all things will be burned up and dissolved. Isaiah says the earth will be shaken out of its place. Isaiah also says that cities are desolate. The earth is violently shaken. And Jesus says the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And we walked through a bunch of verses that, that demonstrated that all of the great things that men build in their cities will be gone. Now, Laid beside that, the end of man's cities, the end of man's world. And the thing is, it's the same verses. Because what I want to show you is that these kind of come together in an event where these things happen. Now, let's unpack it more. The end of man's world. I'm going to take you to Hebrews 1 to start. 
where it says, You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they will grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up, and they will be changed. And the very first point I want to show you on the end of man's world is we will witness change. Because when you go back and look at that verse in Hebrews, the description is of folding up a cloak. And I like that the way it's laid out is it's observed. So it's like standing back and you're watching. And he's watching the end of the world. And the way the writer describes it, they will perish, but you remain. They will grow old like a garment. Just talking about the world. The world will grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up and they will be changed. So I'm wearing a jacket. I take it off. I fold it up. I'm going to put it over there. And there's something new. There's a change. You could say, oh, Pastor Kevin changed. I did. I took one thing off, folded it up, put it away, and I put something new on. That's the first thought I want to give you. The end of man's world is described as a folding up and a change to something new. Okay? As we move on, and I'm writing these, we will witness. So we will witness change. But then 2 Peter says, Then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up. I've underlined burned up. I'm going to talk about that word specifically. Burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Now on this point, what I want to say to you is that we will witness a renewal of the earth, a renewal. Because when you hear that, burned up and dissolved, and you think some of the other translations use other words that are similar, but the idea that you get is like it's this intense heat that melts it all away and it's gone. Some people think of the end of the world as like the Death Star exploding. Boosh! And then it's just a vacuum. There's nothing there. And that is not the description. That is inaccurate. It doesn't fit with what the Bible describes the end of man's world. We're going to see a change, but this change is going to bring about a renewal of the earth. And let me show you how we get to that. This word burned up, its meaning is being uncovered or laid open for exposure. It's like an opening up to expose something, okay? And then the Peter chose this word because it means purity, not annihilation. The words that he used, are, they're communicating something specific. And to kind of jump to what he's talking about, if I were to take a large piece of earth that had all kinds of different uh, minerals or dirt or ore in it, and, but laced through it were, was gold, and I took it and I put it in a melting pot and subjected it to intense heat and began to melt it all down. What you would see is a separation of that which is pure and that which is not pure. Gold tends to rise to the top and then the heavier uh, elements that aren't as pure separate from it. That is what he's talking about. That's the kind of burning up. It's not a burning up that is annihilation and a, a cessation of existence, a, a vacuum where the Death Star used to be. No. You Star Wars fans are liking this message, I know. It is about transforming it, taking out 
what is impure and leaving behind something that's better. That's why we could say it will be a burning away of everything associated with sin, death, the curse, and the temporal. Now, David Jeremiah on this point, he writes, all, and I love how he, he emphasizes this, all the ingrained evidences of decay wrought into the earth's crust, especially the fossils and the cemeteries and all the other monuments belonging to the long march of death will be completely destroyed. And I was thinking about in our, in our house, all the 10 years I've lived here, we had two golden retrievers, Tossie and Cooper. My kids love them. Cooper died uh, beginning of the summer, and the second golden retriever is not going to make it another three or four weeks. We buried Cooper in the backyard. We put a little monument there. My, my daughter loves it, and, and, and there's a big pot, and this, it just flowered, and she came in. It flowered. We're probably going to bury Tossie right next to, her, to him. But I was thinking about someday when I leave this house, those bones are going to stay there. And I was thinking about what if they start to do some work? I should probably tell them there's actually kind of a graveyard of animals, like they could make the movie Pet Cemetery with our house. There's so many chickens. and I've never seen the movie. I know what it's about, but, but the bones are there. You see, a testimony of death used to be life. And it's possible they could start, you know, hey, let's, let's put a garden here, you know, I'm gonna, and all of a sudden, whoa. And that's the kind of the idea, that this burning up is going to cleanse the earth of all of the things that would be in it that connect to sin and death and the curse. Gone. It's a purifying of the earth. Now, <clears throat> as we're continuing on, describing the end of man's world, I want to take you to 2 Peter, where he writes, By the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And what I'm going to draw out of this, it kind of brings the three things together, the end of man's world. We, we're going to witness a change. We're going to witness a renewal of the earth, and we will witness a preservation. Because the first passages from Peter I read, he's describing the end, the apocalypse, the fire, dissolved, heat. But now I went backwards in the chapter, earlier verses, where he used an illustration, and the illustration was Noah. So you're talking about the end of the world, and your illustration is Noah. What do we know about that illustration that teaches us something about the end of the world? Well, a few things. Number one, he destroyed the earth with water. But when he destroyed it with water, he did not wipe out everything. He didn't destroy it. It wasn't like the flood came and poof, everything's gone. It was a cleansing. The water literally washed away. If you go back to Genesis... You have God coming down and seeing man on the earth, and his heart's grieved by what he finds. And what is described about man is every intent of man was sinful and evil. And that brought about the flood. But also in that, he says he found one righteous man, Noah, and his family. 
And they were preserved in the ark. Their faith led them to build the ark, to enter the ark. The door was shut. Then the floodwaters of judgment came and washed away sin and cleansed the earth. And yet they were preserved. And when they came out of the ark, there was an earth there for them to now inhabit and live and work. And that's what we take from it. You see, the fire cleanses. It doesn't annihilate. But you say, well, where's the connection with the ark? Well, think about that. Because chronologically, if we've been going through this study, what did we talk about last week? We talked about the millennium, the penultimate age, the last age of time before the final age. And what do we have there? We had this, there were people, people on, on earth. Well, how can you cleanse it with fire and annihilate all of the, the, that which is impure if people are on it? And the answer is we won't be. We will be in that eternal city. We will be within the safety and the walls of that. The saints of God then, and that's why I'm using the word witness, we will witness. The book of Job talks about angels witnessing the creation of the world by God, and they rejoiced in it. And it's like, what a thing to see. I sure would have wanted to see that. To be standing off like this, and to be witnessing it happen, happening, and yet <clears throat> that is what we will experience. We will be in the safety of that, and then God will cleanse the earth by fire, and we are standing off getting to see that. Now, <clears throat> I thought about an illustration of this because I, I've shared with you that a year or so ago, it was our 25-year anniversary, and I took my wife on a cruise to Alaska, and it was great, but there was something, I, unless you experienced it, you wouldn't really know, Whenever the cruise ship leaves the port, they have this thing called sailing away where everybody comes out from everywhere on the ship to stand and watch as the ship is leaving. And that's a fun experience. I mean, you just think about, because when you get out in the ocean, it's water, or you can see off, you know, we were, we were along the coast, you could see the coastline. Sometimes you go into fjords and stuff, but to go out of a city and you're like passing by things and and uh, I was thinking about Alex. They just came back, and their whole family, like relatives, right? You all did a family cruise, and they went out of New York. What a thing to go by the Statue of Liberty, right? To see the, the Freedom Tower, to see the city. And it's like, why would you stay in your room? Like, hey, we're, we're going by these things. Let's come out. And everybody comes out, and it's like, and I think there's going to be a measure of that. It's like, I don't know what I'll be doing in that city, but somebody's going to go, hey, the apocalypse is happening. What? I'm going to go see it. This is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. So I'm going to be like, you know, I'm going to get up there. I'm going to be up on the highest wall, and I'm going to be like, I want to watch this. I'm going to see the apocalypse. You know, and I remember on cruise ships, it's like, it's like, there's a little bit of a fight for space. It's like, there's chairs, like, I got that chair. Hey, that's saved. You know, it's like, I don't know. We all have our sin nature removed, so there can't be that. It can't be like, move, I got to see the destruction. of the. Can't be that. I don't know. It's going to be like, no, you first. No, no, you. No, really, you. It's a better view. No. You know, that's probably more what it'll look like. But what a thing to see. And when I, when I look at Scripture, there's so many things. I was like, I would love to have seen the flood. 
I would have loved to have seen this Jesus walk on water. I would have loved to have seen the earthquake that took down the walls of Jericho. I mean, there's so many great things of the Bible that I would love to see. And here God's like, I'm going to give you one. And you get to witness. That's why I've used those words, witness. We're going to witness change. We're going to witness a renewal of the earth. And we're also witnessing a preservation. Now, that's the end of man's world. Now, when we were talking about the eternal city, my second point was preparing the eternal city. And in that, we learned that, that there's a city being made right now in heaven for our future. And you remember, we were looking at certain verses, for example, where Jesus said, I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you. And when I come again, and there's a, a teaching in scripture that right now in heaven, God is preparing that city. It's being made now. And we've looked at verses where the writer said, I looked and I saw it descending out of heaven, the city of God, like a bride being brought to the groom. It's going to come down for us. So it's a city being made now in heaven for our future. But here's a contrast. This is a little bit different because the new earth is not being made now, but it will in the future. The preparation of the eternal earth, that's the one thing. It is down the timeline of history. But I want to show you a couple other things. Peter also writes, 2 Peter 3 says, But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, Earlier, I honed in on the words burned up. Right here, I want to hone in on the words new, a new heaven and a new earth. Later in Revelation, John says, behold, actually, he's, this is Christ. For, behold, I make all things new. Now, there's two ways to think about new. It could be new as if it never existed before and it's brand new which sometimes the word new means that, but it could also be new in quality. It's not brand new in time, but it's refurbished. It's remodeled. It's remade, and it's new in quality. Now, in English, the word new, it could mean either of those, either of those, and the context usually will determine which one, but in the Greek, not so. In the Greek, there's two different words for new. There's, there's the word neo, which in our English vernacular, we can take and attach to words to indicate something's new. Like there's a theology called Calvinism. And then there came a time where people began to rethink about Calvinism and they were emerging up within the church. And then people used to, to then point at them and say, these are the neo-Calvinists, the new Calvinists. They didn't exist before and the way they're thinking about that. Okay, you see that? Neo. But the other Greek word means new in quality. It doesn't mean brand new in time. And when it uses these words, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. It's not talking about new in time. It's talking about new in quality. It uses the Greek word that indicates new in quality. And that's significant. That's important. And so we're seeing it's not being made now, but in the future, and it's not being made new in time, but in quality. 
So if we're witnessing and we're watching and there's the, uh, the fire that's purging out the impurities and then what comes from it is something that's better. It's, it's, it hasn't uh, ceased to exist. It, there's a measure of what existed that moves forward. It changes and now it's something different, new in quality. And that's why um, I wanted to show you an example of this, 2 Corinthians 5.17 Paul writes, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. So when I become a Christian, I annihilate it and I'm brand new. No. I mean, this is a very clear case where you can see the use of new to talk about quality. A new creature, it's the same person, but moving forward now, there's a better quality about you because you are getting rid of the sin nature. You're, you're, you're killing the sin nature within you and becoming more like Christ. The fruits of the Spirit are growing within you. Love, joy, peace, kindness, long-suffering. You're better. You're a better person, better in quality. And that's what I want you to grab onto, that the new heaven and the new earth, we don't see a Death Star explosion. We see a purging of its impurities. It moves forward and we're seeing something new, better in quality. Now, lastly, on preparing the eternal earth, it's not being made to pass from existence, which is a case I've been making, but to pass into another. And I, the reason why I'm giving you this here is because of the words pass. Because in the verse I read from Re Revelation, where John's, the, John's writing, he says, I saw a new heaven and new earth, and the old earth... And the old heaven, what? Passed away. Uses that word passed away. And, and what I want to show you is that the word passed there, what it means, actually, you know how it's used? It's used as if to walk through a door. So I'm on this side and I pass through and now I'm on this side. There's a, there's a, I'm in a different position. There's been a change. I was in this room, I passed through the door and now I'm on another, another area, another room. And that's the language that is being used to describe the end of the world. We see it pass. It's here. It's not perfect. There's impurities. There's bones in the ground, a testimony to death and sin and the curse. And then it's going to pass through what God does with that fire. And then it's going to be something different. This is how God will be preparing the eternal earth. So... Just like when we studied the eternal city, we came to the third point. What is the eternal city like? That's one thing we want to know, right? And in that, we learned it's enormous in size. If you didn't uh, hear that sermon, go back. The city itself is roughly the size of a continent. It's huge. It's magnificent in beauty. It is diverse in its culture, and it is life-giving. And we went through that. We talked about what it's like. So... I'm going to do the same here. What is the new earth like? What's it like? Okay, so I'm going to take you, and the first point is going to be the face of the earth will change. That's the first one. And I'm just going to draw these right out of the verses. John writes in Revelation 21, he says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had what? Passed away. It went through the door. It, it's going somewhere different. Also, and then he adds this, also, there was no more sea, which I think is pretty significant. Like you read that and you go, what? 
There's no more. Okay. So the point could be the topography changes. What the earth looks like. So how many continents are there? Seven. You were in the first service. You know the answers. How many oceans are there? They always get different answers on this one. <laughs> it won't matter the answers in the new one because they're going to change. It's going to change. There is no more sea. Now, I, I've read up on this, <clears throat> and as I was reading, you know, it gets into the science a little bit, and I'm like, this is a little bit out of my wheelhouse to try to explain all this, and just to try to give a simple version. If you go backwards into the Bible, pre-flood, the earth looked different then. Because when you read about what happened in the flood, you have the waters of the deep coming up and breaking up the earth, and there's a to topo topography change of the earth. And <clears throat> one Christian, famous Christian scientist, Henry Morris, talks a lot about the necessity of the salt seas and the oceans and how it uh, fits into the ecosystems of the earth. But it's going to be a different earth. We won't need those massive seas in the new earth. And you look back also in Genesis. It says, how were things watered? There wasn't rain. There was dew. It says, God watered the garden, the earth with dew. And so you see some of these changes like that. And the one thing I can stand really firm on is that there will be change. And it says there will be no sea. So the big ocean's not there. It doesn't mean there's no water. Because in the new city, we already learned there's a river that flows through it, and it comes out the city. So somewhere there's reservoirs of water, but they're just not, most likely, the general thought amongst biblical scholars, large bodies or oceans, because the sea is gone. Now, we see, I'm going to come back to some thoughts on that, but what will it be like? John says the face of the earth is going to change, and also the curse of the earth will also change. Now, if you remember Adam in the garden, he's told to work it. But then after sin came into the world, God comes and he, there's a curse that comes. From the curse, there's death. But not just death. From the curse, he said, Eve, woman will have pain in childbirth. From that, also, the earth that you're going to work is now going to be hard to work. You're going to have to till the ground. It's good. There's going to be thorns. There's going to be thistles. And there's a way in which the curse being removed through that purging of the earth, what comes out of that is an earth where the, 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 everything from the dirt to the trees is not affected by anything related to sin nature. No thorns, no thistles, no hard ground. Um, and it will change. Now, let me just add some other thoughts into this because currently ecosystems, there's a way in which ecosystems, sin nature affects that brings about the destruction of, of parts of those ecosystems. Entropy is everything's always in decay. You know, we live in Guam. The mold can grow pretty fast. Uh, it can destroy. But... I was thinking about the rhino beetles. How many of you have seen these big rhino beetles? 
Because there was, they're not from Guam. They came from somewhere else. So suddenly you introduce the rhino beetle here, and what is it doing? It's destroying. It's, there was a point where I thought we were going to lose every single palm tree on this campus. They were all getting the holes. One time, there was a dead palm tree over here. We cut it off, and we found inside of it just, I mean, 100 larvae of rhino beetles. They burrow you in there, and they, they, they put all their eggs, and they grow, and they're spreading out, destroying. And there's, there's a way in which even the, the systems of the earth now, they can bring about those, that kind of destruction. They can bring about extinction, the extinction of some animals or plants. And we, in the new earth, with the curse removed, those things will not be part of the ecosystems of the earth. Guam has other um, things that have come into the island that are not indigenous. The brown tree snake, we just caught one a couple nights ago here on the campus. Brown tree snakes at one point nearly wiped out the bird population. You see what I'm saying? Now, after the sermon, the first sermon, uh, Steve, one of the elders, came up and we were talking about this, and I can't say it verbatim. He said something like, Guam is terrible and it's bioprotection something. He, he used bigger words than me. But he says, Guam hasn't been very good at that. You know, like we have to actually try to put protections in place. Now, all that I'm saying is the new earth the, with the removal of the curse changes these things. The face of the earth will change, the curse of the earth will change. Revelation 22, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Now, if I go back in time and we said, will we, is it gonna, what are we going to do for eternity? You know, are we going to sit in a lawn chair, you know, looking at a beach, you know, for all eternity? Is it going to be boring, right? No, it's going to be boring. That would be boring for all eternity. No, we will be serving. And this ties in. If I'm serving, just like Adam, work the garden, no longer thorns and thistles, but because the curse is removed, we're able to serve in a way that is better. It's better. Now, lastly, I'm going to put here, and this is really the best one. Save the best for last today. The separation of the physical and the spiritual will change. When Adam sinned, he's in the garden. The Bible says God used to come down, walk in the garden, communicate, relationship, fellowship with Adam. When he sinned, Adam out of the garden. And one of the fundamental truths of Scripture is that we are sinners and our sin separates us from God. We cannot go into the city with any sin. Specifically stated in Revelation, nothing unclean will go into the city. He's going to purge everything that's unclean. But the reason there's been separation is because of that sin. Physical world, spiritual world, and there's a separation. But what we learn in Scripture is that Jesus Christ is the in-between that's going to bring together the physical and the spiritual. Paul writes in Ephesians 1, God made known to us the mystery of His will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Do you see that? 
Jesus Christ, the one mediator between man and God, he brings together the physical and the spiritual. And that's the best part. When you read Revelation, it says that God is there and forever he will dwell with man. And it is Christ and his work that brings together these two things. Now, I was reading uh, Randy Alcorn, who wrote one of the more recent books on heaven, very popular. He said, heaven is God's home. Earth is our home. Jesus Christ, as the God-man, forever links God with mankind, and thereby forever links heaven and earth. Christ will make earth into heaven and heaven into earth. And that's what you see. It's a new universe. There isn't this vast separation. Heaven, where, where is it? Way off. He brings it together, what Christ does. Heaven and earth coming together. That picture where we saw the city and the earth together. Now, I want to take a moment, and I want you to imagine with me a little bit, because let's just build on top of all we've taught this summer and have a thought, because this is Pastor Kevin. This is just me thinking, okay? I'm not going to attach any Bible verses to these, but this is me thinking. What is life going to be like? Here's, here's me thinking. He made a home for me. I go to prepare a place for you. Oh, I said I wouldn't use verses. Okay, I might use a few. I go to prepare a place for you. I got a home, and there it is. It's an awesome home, right? And in my home or in the community, I'm going to find people that have left this earth that I love. My mother-in-law who just passed away, my grandfather who passed away years ago, both from cancer, they will be there. They're believers in Christ and to be reunited with them. Not just family, but the great men and women of the Bible. I mean, I want to grab Noah and be like, what was it like? What was it like? Because, you know, the apocalypse, we got to stand up there and do our little cruise thing and go, wow, and witness, but I know you didn't. You couldn't go up there on like a cruise and be like, hey, look at that, washed away. Couldn't do that. They were inside, right? And in the same way that they were inside, the door opened, then they came out, got to inhabit the earth. We as well, inside at the end, come out, inhabit the earth, and then just make these connections with Noah. What was it like? What was it like, David, fighting Goliath? What was it like, Elijah? What was the look on those prophets' faces when the fire came down and consumed the water-drenched sacrifice? Like to, to be able to talk to the great men and women of the Bible. But not only that, the great men and, win, men and women of, of the history of, of God's church. To talk to a John Calvin, to talk to a Martin Luther. What was it like when you stood there and said, here I stand, I can do no other? There's so many people to talk to that are going to be phenomenal. And it's not like we'll run out of time. We'll get to them eventually. We're going to get to them, you know. So awesome house, awesome people. And I'm not bored because Jesus says, I got a job for you. Here's your job. Okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to work at my job and be, try to be the best I can. It keeps me, 
there's a fulfillment within me to be the very best I can at what my Lord gives me to do in that new heaven and new earth. Speaking of earth, I like to visit places. I like to go and see. One of the things I miss the most about living in the States is we would get in a car and just go driving and we'd go see things. We'd go to to Yosemite National Park and hike to the top of Half Dome. We go to Bryce Canyon and Zion. Beautiful, awesome places. Just imagine, and I can't even get to everything, right? I mean, I would love to go to Machu Picchu, but I can't make it there. But just imagine, with all of the oceans gone, how much more of the earth there will be to explore and examine. And we've got an eternity. Awesome home, awesome people, awesome job, awesome places. And let me just throw this one in there. Animals. People ask, are there going to be animals? My daughter, our golden retrievers died. Are they going to be in heaven? Do I give her the spiritual answer or the fatherly answer? <laughs> I personally... Animals don't have a soul like us, so I, gotta, I want to say to my daughter, not the same animal. Now, Randy Alcorn says maybe. That's his opinion. This is something we could have opinions on. But let me put it in this perspective. In the garden, in the beginning, there were animals, and Adam walked with them. He was with them. He named them all. He took care of them. So don't be surprised if in the new heaven and new earth, there's animals. You know, And it's like in the garden. I can go up there, and I can pet a lion and not be afraid. He's going to bite me. Okay? I'll be like, ha-ha, Daniel. <laughs> You know, look how easy it is. Oh, and by the way, I hope he throws some dinosaurs in there. That'd be pretty awesome. Right? I mean, it's like, awesome. The new heaven and the new earth. And do you know why I'm partly telling you all this? Because here's where I want to land today. It's important. It's so important that it ends that way. Because if it doesn't, if God has to take earth and annihilate it because of the sinfulness, then that means there is a, a small measure, a small victory in which Satan won. Because he was able to come into God's creation and bring sin and bring death, and God had to destroy it. So if God's not going to do that, he's going to renew it. And in a way, it defeats the first act of what happened in that garden, bringing sin and death into the world. Anthony Hokema wrote, If God would have to annihilate the present cosmos, Satan would have won a great victory, for then Satan would have succeeded in so devastatingly corrupting the present cosmos and the present earth that God could do nothing with it but to blot it totally out of existence. But Satan did not win such a victory. On the contrary, Satan has been decisively defeated God will reveal the full dimensions of that defeat when, when, when he shall renew this very earth on which Satan deceived mankind and finally banish from it all the results of Satan's evil machinations. I think that's the most awesome point in all of it. It's victory at the end. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, for what we get from it that in it we can know the outcome. And sometimes through this series, Lord, I know I've, I've pointed to our present world and said it's sometimes hard to have hope. It's depressing. It sometimes feels like the gospel's losing, the church is declining. 
And yet we can take hope knowing that you are sovereign in all things. You're sovereign over the end of the world. And we get pressure on how the world might end, but I'm so glad to know that you are the cause of the end and that you bring about something from it. You make all things work together for good, even in the end of our world. So I pray as Christians that we could go live in our communities that you place us with a hope, with a joy, knowing that your word shows us we are anchored to something that's secure, that's just awesome. And that should be what drives us above all else. We lift this up in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and we'll finish as we worship together as a church.